Welcome to Episode 6 of the Dystopian Academy Podcast, discussing the Dystopian Wars game by War Cradle Games. What I'd like to do today is do a more detailed overview of all the factions and how they were affected by the recent big update. This is only going to cover the first four factions, as they're the ones that are most fleshed out and have the most changes. The new factions, or those that don't have a full-size Orbat yet, were not affected as greatly. So first up, we'll talk about the Imperium. Blitz and Bombers went from four attack dice to five attack dice, bringing them up to a point where they seem a lot more viable compared to regular SRS tokens. The Inductorium ability also was completely changed, but we covered that in the last episode, so I don't really want to go into it in detail now. Now, Lightning Raid used to be something that you always had, and now it's part of a Battlefleet perk, which I think generally makes more sense. So basically, you're going to get Lightning Raid if you have at least one Battlefleet that has the Lightning Raid ability, which are the Imperium, Tempelhof, and Ice Maiden Battlefleet, so it's quite a lot of them. Extra Lightning Raid tokens are now 25 points each, with a max of 4, compared to 22 points each with a max of 6. So you can't buy your way into a, a bigger set. But given that Blitzen's got better in their attack dice, this is actually an improvement in efficiency. You're getting more attack dice per point now than you used to under the old system. Note that if you wanted to, you can stack your Lightning Raid tokens with your Combat Air Patrol tokens for one large strike at the beginning of the game. And this may end up becoming a signature tactic for the Imperium. Moving on, let's take a look at the weapons chart. The Flak Veerling lost Voltaic and Aerial, and Link's a little bit less efficiency. I see this as kind of clarifying what the weapon is supposed to be, a flat gun. Losing Aerial is an advantage, because enemies can't use their ADV to shoot it down anymore, and this easily more than compensates for the parts that got weaker. The Heavy Spear Schleuder got extreme range and one extra die in 0-20, to 20, so it's more viable close-up, and it can go very, very far. The regular Spear Schleuder got the plus one die, but not the extreme range. The Heavy Volt Gun Battery got plus two attack dice in 0-10, to 10, making it more effective up close, and generally a more attractive weapon now. The Sturmbringer got a significant enhancement, and that it gained a second range band. It is lower dice, but it can attack past 10 inches now. And this will make a particularly big difference for the Ice Maiden, which has three front-mounted Sturmbringers. New weapons added to the table include the Claw Arc Projector, which is basically a form of ram, the Sturmclaw, which is a weaker Sturmbringer, and the Uber Flak Verling, which is a much bigger version of the normal Flak Verling, but is currently only available on the Metzger. Corvettes and Escorts both got 5 points cheaper. Both, I think, were seldom used at the old cost, or at least I don't remember seeing people talking about using them, so this seems like a good change. The Elector dropped 5 points and gained a 15-point option called Modular Configuration, which allows you to swap the arcs of your front Gustav and your rear heavy volt gun battery. It also gained Spotter, which was a common addition. I don't think many would want to pay 15 points for modular configuration, 
but you can get modular configuration for free in the Elector Battle Group, which does supply some value if you want to change up the ship. The SMS Brandenburg dropped 30 points and gained Spotter. This is a massive discount, but it does still have front and rear Gustavs, which feels awkward to use. Still, at that price, it may be a little more tempting. The SMS Turpets gained Inspirational, Maritime Patrol, and Spotter, but lost Elite Crew and can no longer replace a turret with a generator. Overall, I feel this focuses the ship into a role of supporting your fleet and wanting to run alongside a carrier of some sort to benefit from Maritime and Spotter. The Heidelberg Logistics Battlecruiser was reduced 20 points, while the rival logistical support ship, the SMS Holzendorf, dropped 30 points and gained Spotter. Between the two, I favor the Holzendorf. A logistical support ship seems to be a conceptual good match with being a dedicated bombard ship, so that you can stay back in a position of greater safety and preserve your logistical card advantage. Not to mention, of course, it got the bigger discount and a small buff in the update. The Ice Maiden Supercarrier gained Combat Air Patrol, and the name versions got Spotter if they have any extreme-range weapons. The Ice Scout Schoenheit went up 45 points, while the other versions held steady. If you really want to see some good coverage of the different varieties of Ice Maiden, take a look at the War Cradle page on Facebook. They recently posted a detailed article going over all three variants and some tips on using those. It's pretty good. Moving along, the regular Tempelhof was reduced 15 points and gained combat air patrol, while the Tempelhof Blitzen dropped 20 and does not get combat air patrol, which only applies to regular SRS, so that makes sense. It might be tempting to think that combat air patrol is worth more than 5 points, making the regular version the better deal, but keep in mind that Blitzens were buffed from 4 dice to 5 as well in this update, so I think we're still at a point where it's a bit unclear which is the favored version. The Kaiser Heavy Battleship dropped 20 points, perhaps in compensation for its fourth turret arc being nerfed in the last update. It still seems to be a fairly solid ship, though. The Ragnarok Heavy Reaver dropped 10 points, with no other changes, so that makes it slightly more attractive than it used to be. Moving on to the smaller ships, the Arminius Frigate went up one point per ship and was reworked to have focused gunnery instead of pack hunter. This is part of an overall move in this update to reduce the power of frigates. The Augustus Bombard Cruiser was one of the very few ships that went up in price, raising five points, but also gaining spotter, which seems like a reasonable trade. The popular Blucher-class cruiser, as I recently found out it's supposed to be pronounced, dropped four points. The Conrad support carrier gained combat air patrol, but was otherwise unchanged, so a very small buff there. And the Odin Reaver dropped three, and the full steam ahead ability was changed from plus two inches to double drift, which, in the case of a Mass 2 ship, is more or less the same thing but it, it does improve full steam ahead for using other types of ships. The Ryder Flat Cruiser, which was a steal of a deal at 100 points, went up to 120, but it did gain cloud hunting to make it better at shooting aerial models, and of course there was a significant update to its signature Flakvierling weapon stat as well. 
While this is a little bit of a nerf, it was an extremely strong ship, and this puts it more strongly into a specific role of anti-aerial duty. For those of you looking for a budget logistics ship, the Schaumburg Logistics Cruiser went up 7 points, making it just a little bit less attractive than it used to be. Remember that because they have a differently named ability, their supply vessel stacks with logistical support on your bigger ships, though, so you can kind of double dip on that. The Sigimer Destroyer went up 2 points a ship, and Pack Hunter was reduced in power, so that's overall a minor nerf for those. The Toten Heavy Destroyer went up 1 point per ship, gained Focus Gunnery, and Giant Hunter was reduced a bit, but it does make them more flexible since they get bonuses against any type of ship with Focus Gunnery, rather than being solely focused on mass 3 plus targets. The Valkyrie Raider went up 12 points per model and gained Linear Dash. This is a pretty big increase, but it did also gain one point of hull, so the durability has improved a fair bit. Just keep in mind that even with three hull, it can still be one-shotted with a critical, as it's a mass one ship. Finally, the Volsung Strike Carrier went up a point and gained focused gunnery. It also got an option where for four extra points, you can be Teutonic instead of Prussian, and gain elite crew. The only effect of Teutonic right now is that it makes it easier to repair your giant robots if a Teutonic ship is within three inches of them. However, I would expect this to become significant in Battlefleet composition at some point in the future. So the general pattern here is that flagships dropped in cost, gained spotter if applicable, and gained two total hull. Cruisers stayed roughly the same cost or went up a little bit while also gaining two hull. And frigates and other mass one ships generally got slight nerfs, although some could be considered more of a rework. Weapon-wise, the Imperium as a whole got a little better in close range than they were before. So now let's take a look at the new ships. The Hockmeister and Metzger Vitruvian Colossi. Both cost 170 points and have the exact same stat line, and both allow you to take up to three models in a unit. They also share most of the same special abilities, so it really kind of makes it easy to do comparisons between them. The things they have in common are Amphibious, allowing them to move across land, Unexpected Arrival, meaning that they can teleport in onto the playfield, Desightwall is basically an enhancement for Unexpected Arrival, Inspirational, so they buff other ships nearby, Teutonic Construct, this allows your Colossus to do a little bit of damage repair if there are other Teutonic ships nearby. And Vitruvian, this lets you turn on the spot to face any direction, and you can always ram even if you move less than three inches. So the difference between the two lies in their weapons. The Hawkmeister has two heavy Volt gun batteries and a giant sword, which is used for boarding assaults, where it gets plus 5 attack dice and elite crew. It also has Giant Slayer, making it more effective against large enemy ships. The Metzger, on the other hand, has the Uber Flakvirling and the Claw Arc Projector, a potent ram weapon. As a comparison, if you link the Hawkmeister's two heavy Volt Gun batteries, you get an 11-14-8 shot with Gunnery and Voltaic. The Uber Flakvirling on its own is 12-12-0 with Voltaic and Sustained, 
making it the equivalent of 18 dice. The claw arc projector is 11 extra dice for ramming with devastating and arc. Overall, the Metzger seems to be the wrecking ball of the two, wanting to move up and smash things, while the Hockmeister suggests to me a strategy of holding back to shoot a bit until your opponent gets into boarding range. The durability of both robots is between that of a heavy cruiser and a battleship, but with the hull points weighted more onto the battle-ready side than the crippled side. Also remember that if you get into a bad spot, you can yank either one of them back to your reserves in order to try to redeploy them next turn to a better position. There are a lot of new abilities here that make it difficult to judge how they will play, but I'm expecting these to be popular options to try out for Imperium players. At this point, I think I'm favoring the Metzger, but we'll, we'll kind of see how things go in the future. So moving on, let's take a look at the Empire. The Empire's interface generator got a major update. The new version is significantly weaker as well as costing more points. I have a suspicion that with such a large balance change, we may still see it get tweaked a little more going forward. But right now, I expect we won't see too much of it outside of uh, a few specific uses. So looking first at the weapons table. Broadsides got slightly better at linking, as did the heavy broadsides. The heavy gun battery improved in band 1 by 2 dice. The heavy huokyang got significantly better with one extra die and it gained fusillade. Plus, it doesn't lose dice when crippled anymore. Similarly, the regular Huokyang also got fusillade and no reduction, but stayed at the same dice. Heavy rocket batteries got slightly better when crippled. Heavy torpedoes gained extreme range, just as did the equivalents in other factions. But Empire also got extreme range on their regular-sized torpedoes. New weapons include the Claw Arc Projector, just like the Imperium got, and the Heat Lancet borrowed from the Latin Alliance. However, before you start claiming that the factions are blending together, this is only available on a single model, the Tianlong Draconic Colossus, and even there it's an optional 10-point upgrade. So really not going to be seeing this very much. I'd also like to point out that heavy rocket turrets generally went up three points uh, across all factions which tends to affect Empire a little bit more because of their emphasis on rocket weaponry. The Ninjing went down 15 points and otherwise stayed the same. The Yangtze dropped 10 points and gained Spotter, but I would say was significantly hurt by the large nerf to the interface generator, since it was extremely common to swap your rear turret for one, and therefore I would consider the ship to be nerfed overall. The Hachiman Assault Carrier dropped 25 points, gained Elite Crew and Combat Air Patrol, but lost the Internal Shroud Generator. Compared to the discounts on most of the other large ships, I would say that this is a small nerf. The Congo Heavy Battleship dropped 15 points and gained Elite Crew, which, by the way, seems to be kind of a Japanese trait. It also kept its Internal Shroud Generator. So we're kind of seeing here where War Cradle wants to start differentiating the Chinese and the Japanese ships a little bit more. The Dao Light Cruiser stayed the same cost and gained Vanguard, but lost Shadow Hunter, which has now become almost exclusively a Japanese ship ability within the faction. Same with Elite Crew. 
the Giant Cruiser dropped two points and can now take up to four ships in the unit rather than three. This is significant because if you take a full-size Giant unit in the Ninjing Battle Fleet, then both your Ninjing and your Giants gain devastating on the Huokyongs and Heavy Huokyongs. It seems like a pretty nice ability, but a lot of us only have three Giants, you know, because there was no reason to build a fourth, and you may have to pick up an additional hull somewhere to take advantage of this, or else proxy it with another ship. The Meru Heavy Cruiser was upgraded to six armor instead of five, and also got heavy broadsides at the same cost, and like the Gion, you can take a unit of up to four ships now. A full-size Meru unit and your Yangtze battle fleet will earn you an extra command reroll. Not necessarily really exciting, but useful. This seems like a nice buff to one of the less frequently used Empire ships. In most factions, I tend to find that three out of the four cruiser options seem to be the best, and one is a little bit weaker, and for me that was originally the Meru. But with these changes, uh, maybe I'll have to start building some of them. I don't know. The big question in my case is I'm going to end up with too many factions, and at some point I need to figure out which one I'm going to consider to be my main. The Shanghai frigate dropped one point. Unusual among frigates, they're usually going up a little bit. But Pack Hunter has been significantly weakened. The Yamaguchi attack cruiser went up 15, but gained elite crew and Moon Pool, which allows it to recycle your Cheetah submersible automatas that are destroyed within 10 inches, very similar to what the Enlightened Whale ships can do with their whales. You also get one Cheetah for free. Wusang Monitor had no changes. So now let's take a look at the new ships. Since Empire wasn't as fleshed out as some of the older factions, they got quite a few new ships. First, the Keying is a name variant of the Ninjing battleship. For 20 points more, you get an interface generator replacing your rear turret, you get elite crew, and you get vanguard. So basically, if you were thinking of putting an interface generator on your Ninjing anyway, it's just much better to take the Keying. It's a little cheaper and you get a couple more perks. The Gong Destroyer is the only Chinese ship other than the Draconic Colossus that has Shadow Hunter. It costs 35 points a ship with dual rocket batteries and the option to replace one of them with a Huokyong. It has Pack Hunter and Skyfire, which improves your shooting at aerial models. The Huokyong option makes the Gong a very cost-effective frigate killer, and I expect to see them used often for this. Because the Gong is significantly cheaper, this may end up meaning a reduction in use for the Wusong monitors, which were previously often used for that role. The Hokkaido Heavy Cruiser is a 120-point Japanese ship with Elite Crew, Mark of Yama, and Shadow Hunter. It packs dual front heavy gun batteries, a rear gun battery, normal, not heavy, heavy broadsides, and front-firing torpedoes. If you compare it to the Meru Heavy Cruiser, it's slightly faster and a little bit more agile in turning, one more crit rating, and better at boarding actions. You're also losing Contra Rotation for Shadow Hunter, but it's an easier ship to use, having mainly forward-firing weapons. I'm expecting it to be a popular alternative, especially once some Japanese-themed battle fleets arrive, but it does have one less hull than the Meru. 
The Honshu is the Japanese light cruiser, coming in at 93 points. Compared to the similar... The Honshu is the Japanese light cruiser, coming in at 93 points. Compared to the similar-sized Dow, it's a little faster and more agile, plus one crit rating, but it does cost 13 points more. It has Elite Crew, Shadow Hunter, and Pack Hunter. Weapons are roughly similar, with more emphasis on guns rather than rockets, and front torpedoes instead of the Hwokyang. This seems like a significant cost increase, you know, percentage-wise, so I think I still prefer the Dao of the two, but they both seem to be viable. The Ishikawa Strike Cruiser is a 95-point Japanese ship with Elite Crew, Moon Pool, Full Steam Ahead, Shadow Hunter, and Mark of Yama. A lot of abilities there. Weapons are pretty much on the light side with only one big turret, one gun battery, and front torpedoes, but you do get one Cheetah Submersible Automata for free. So, essentially, you would take this if you want a toolbox ship and recycling of your Cheetahs, Otherwise, I would probably skip it as it seems a bit pricey for what you get. It's really just intended as a support vessel. The Kanagawa Monitor is a 75-point Japanese ship with the same weapons as the Ishikawa, but for 20 points less. It doesn't have as many abilities, but still carries Elite Crew, Shadow Hunter, Mark of Yama, and Maritime Patrol. No recycling of cheetahs, but I consider it a better deal overall. The Kyoto frigate costs four points more than the Shanghai, but it's significantly up-armored. It carries a more conventional gun battery instead of a rocket battery, and has Giant Slayer instead of Pack Hunter, as well as Elite Crew. I'd have to try them, but the increased durability seems like it will make them a bit annoying to remove. The Miyagi Scout Carrier is not a typical support carrier as it only carries two SRS instead of four, and zero SRS when crippled. It has the same lighter armament as the Ishikawa and Kanagawa, and costs 115 points. Like most Japanese ships, it has a lot of special abilities, including combat air patrol, elite crew, full steam ahead, shadow hunter, and mark of Yama. However, for 115 points, for such a light SRS complement and light weapons, I can't really find it that attractive. If it gets an update to not reduce SRS when crippled, that would probably help, but I'm not convinced that you're going to see a lot of Miyagi's on the field. A close alternative to the Miyagi is the Okinawa Recon Carrier. This costs 135 points, so that's 20 more than the Miyagi. However, it has an extra heavy gun battery on it, Vanguard instead of full steam ahead, and it does not reduce its SRS when crippled. Overall, I think it's a better deal than the Miyagi, and possibly a reasonable way to augment a carrier-based fleet, but definitely does not have enough SRS to be viable as your only carriers. It's also more heavily armed than a typical support carrier, so while it sounds expensive, it is kind of a dual-role ship for you. The Osaka is the base Japanese cruiser for 97 points. It's not fancy, but it does have dual front turrets and torpedoes, as well as Elite Crew, Shadow Hunter, and Mark of Yama. Basically, it's just a simple, solid-value, easy-to-drive ship. This is also the ship you need to run the Congo Battle Fleet, which grants devastating to the Congo's heavy gun batteries, so I think it's going to be common for people to want to build a squad of Osaka's. Finally, 
we have the Tianlong Draconic Colossus, the giant flying dragon robot. Now, let, let me clarify. I've said robot several times in this podcast episode. That does not mean that they are autonomous things. Whether you're talking about the Metzgers or the Tianlong, these are crude vehicles. There are people on board, and they're not AIs, so don't take the word robot in that sense. So actually, if you want to know a lot more about uh, the Colossi for all the different factions and more of what's going to be coming for those, I recommend that you check out the Markov Dossier podcast. What you want is episode number seven. It's file number Sigma Michelangelo. In there, there's an interview with Stuart from War Cradle, and they talk quite a bit about the different Colossi. They talk about upcoming ships, a little bit about you know who's going to be getting what kind of ships or why certain kinds of ships are going to be coming out for some factions and not others. It's really a pretty good listen. Most of their podcast episodes kind of emphasizes uh, Wild West Exodus more than Dystopian Wars, but this one is definitely worth your time. Anyway, getting back to the Tianlong, it only costs 110 points compared to the 170 of the Imperium Colossi, and it's quite a bit different. First, it's much, much faster at speed 8 instead of 3. Less armor, almost as much hull, and it has a Death From Above ability which allows you to ram aerial models. It comes with Elite Crew, Shadow Hunter, Mark of Yama, and Vanguard. It has a single heavy gun battery, but mostly wants to get in close to use its heavy Huaqiang and Claw Arc projector. You can run up to three of these in a unit, and there's actually an option to change it from Chinese to Japanese, which also swaps your heavy gun battery for plus four fray, taking it from five to nine, which still isn't that big. It's about on par with what you'd get in a similarly costed cruiser. But it is an option, and it may be important for battle fleet reasons or just personal thematic reasons. Bottom line is the RAM seems to be the main selling point of the model, in addition to uh, anti-frigate duty with the heavy Kwakiong. But it does have excellent mobility, so you can close faster to RAM than most ships, and you can spray down enemy frigate units on the way, or maybe take a couple of pot shots with your gun battery. Its ability to fly means you can also hide behind islands and things like that. It does have Shadow Hunter 2, which helps you secure a good deployment matchup, and of course, it's just a really awesome looking model. So, as I'm sure you've noticed, there's a pretty full complement of Japanese ships in the new Orbat, so I would expect to see a Congo Battle Fleet box sometime coming up with options to build the Osaka Cruiser, Kanagawa Monitor, Honshu Light Cruiser, or Hokkaido Heavy Cruiser. The Miyagi and Okinawa carriers will presumably be part of the Hachiman Assault Carrier box later on, and probably the Ishikawa will be in there too. The way War Cradle seems to operate with these things, I would regard these stats as slightly preliminary, and there will probably be an update of the Japanese ships shortly before their box releases, incorporating whatever community feedback that we've had to that point. I'd also like to mention that Empire no longer has as bad a matchup against the Enlightened because their Wave Lurker change means that they can't stay underwater all the time to hide from your rockets. So, speaking of the Enlightened, let's cover them next. 
We already spoke last time about the updates to the Enlightened Special Abilities, so we won't go that much into them here. But what I do want to mention is they have some really cool new high-tech items available to them. So what do these goofy-sounding pieces of equipment actually do? The Calamacus Chrono Lathe has two different special operations that you can use. First, you can use it to remove a point of damage from a battle-ready model within 15 inches. Pretty good. Or you can use it to immediately bring in a unit from reserve and deploy them within 3 inches of this unit. The unit brought in using the chrono lathe immediately gets a hazard condition but can activate as normal. You cannot use the chrono lathe while wave lurking. So this is pretty good if you have something that's in reserve and it carries a lot of weaponry perhaps, but it's a little bit fragile and you just want a reliable way to teleport it in so that it can light something up. Then the Diophantus Chaos Orb. Once again, this operates as a special operation, and again, there are two options. First, you can use it to draw three Victory and Valor cards. You can examine them, discard two, and add the last one to your hand. Then during the end phase, you have to discard a card from your hand. Not if you've played them all, though. The other way to use the orb is that it can count as a heavy particle cannon with a 360-degree fire arc. You cannot use either version of the Chaos or while Wave Lurking. So both of these bring some pretty exciting capabilities that are going to be very unique, and if you don't play Enlightened, you might be a little jealous. Moving on to weapons. The Molecular Disharmonizer got slightly better attack dice in 0-20, to 20, but dropped in the 20-30 to 30 range, shifting it towards a closer range weapon. The Particle Beamer lost a little bit of efficiency in linking, but is still very strong. The Seeker Rocket Batteries got one extra attack die. Not a big change, but welcome. The new weapons are the Seas Shock Maw. This is a light ramming weapon. The Tyndall Cyclonic Missiles. And this is a nine attack die aerial AoE weapon. So it has blast, but they can only be used from 10 inches to 40 inches. They're no good at point blank. Moving along to the ships. The Descartes got Luminiferous Defense, Cloud Hunting, and Surgical Harbor, which recycles your dead whales, and the points stayed the same. The named Oedipus version of the ship got the same abilities and went down four points. This is a nice buff to both of them, and I know there are whale fans out there that are probably going nuts over this. The Hypatia went up just one point, insignificant at that level. It also gained Luminiferous Defense, and it got Generator Ship, which lets friendly models within 5 inches gain your generator effects. This is a pretty big buff if you choose your generators right, but keep in mind that it's a little hard to get free generators in your battle fleet now. You have to take 3 max units with generators, not counting your flagship, which in Enlightened is fairly expensive. You also have to keep a pretty tight formation. The name Prometheus version got the same changes, but went up 9 points. Now keep in mind there are a couple of small restrictions with this, basically to prevent somebody being really cheesy. So you cannot use generator ship to get more than one of the same kind of generator, like multiple shields. And it also does not work if you have the clone generator. If you copy something with clone, 
then I don't think you get to uh, duplicate it with generator ship. There were no changes to the Antarctica or Copernicus other than luminiferous defense. The Chatelet cruiser went up five points and gained combat air patrol, maritime patrol, luminiferous defense, and fearless fighters. The Claudius Merchantman dropped 18 points, which is a huge drop, and additional models dropped 10, plus it gained luminiferous defense, like most ships. The Diogenes sub went up one point, and the larger Praxilla sub traded Pack Hunter for Giant Killer. I feel like there may not be much data on the subs yet. I haven't seen a whole lot of reports of people playing those, so they probably didn't want to make too many large changes at this point. The Germain Zebek went up two points and lost Pack Hunter. In comparison, the Marion frigate went up five points and kept Pack Hunter, even though Pack Hunter was weakened a little bit. The Loveless went up three points, making it just a little harder to find budget cruisers for the Enlightened. The Plinius support carrier dropped two and gained cloud hunting, combat air patrol, luminiferous defense, and fearless fighters. With these changes and its primary weapon of seeker rockets getting a little boost, it seems to be a more attractive ship now. The Stiletto fast cruiser gained full steam ahead and luminiferous defense. And finally, the Ulysses Vanguard cruiser dropped four points and gained combat air patrol, luminiferous defense, and fearless fighters. So now let's talk about the new ships. First up is the Archimedes Vault ship. What's a vault ship? As far as I can tell, it mostly just means a really big ship, as all of them are mass four, but otherwise they have very little in common with each other. Anyway, the Archimedes is expensive at 420 points, but it has plenty of hull, a long list of abilities, decent weapons, six SRS, and the ability to take either a Calamachus Chronolathe or a Diophantus Chaos Orb, which I suspect is one of the main draws. The Schneider is a named version of the Archimedes for 500 points. It loses the SRS, but packs four molecular disharmonizers, which is pretty scary, and it has the Diophantus Chaos Orb built in as well. The Belgica is a named version of the Antarctica. It's 30 points more, so what do you get for that? It has one extra armor while battle-ready, shifts one point of ADV to SDV, has two Sturginium agitators in place of the standard particle beamers, and it gains maritime patrol. However, you could already have customized your Antarctica with dual Sturginium agitators for 20 points, so basically you're paying 10 for the extra armor and maritime patrol. Plus one armor is pretty decent, so if you face a lot of submerged models, this may be a worthwhile option, the Ketos and Lotan assault machines are smaller-sized automata. You get two Ketos for 120, or two Lotan for 116. They have the same stat line and abilities, with Mechanical Soul, Wave Lurker, and Unexpected Arrival. The difference is, again, in their weapons. The Ketos has a Sturginium Agitator and Etheric Lance, while the Lotan has a Koyus Shock Maw, and a particle beamer. Personally, I'm leaning towards the Ketos. Sturgidium agitators are pretty sweet in a world where mass four and five ships are starting to show up, and can do some pretty big damage to them. The Newton Void Engine Cruiser. 
is a fairly typical cruiser with somewhat light etheric weaponry for 136 points. Why so expensive, then? Well, it has a void engine. This lets you choose an entire unit as a target, friendly or enemy, within 10 inches, and roll a die. You have a 1 in 3 chance of nothing, a 1 in 6 chance of the target getting a Sturgenium Flare effect, but no marker, a 1 third chance you can teleport them 5 inches with any facing, and a 1 in 6 chance you can move the target unit to reserve. It's an interesting weapon that can cause a very powerful effect. Imagine moving an entire Ice Maiden to reserve. But it's not that reliable. Also, only one model in your unit can use the Void Engine each turn, so you may want to stick to minimum-sized units. Essentially, I would put it as kind of a 50-50-ish thing. Half the time, you're going to get nothing or a minimal effect, and half the time, you're going to get a fairly powerful effect. You're just not sure which one. But even teleporting things 5 inches and messing with their facing is pretty strong. The Quintillion Bombardment Cruiser costs 148 points. Conceptually, it's like most other Bombard Cruisers, except a bit higher priced and carrying more enlightened high-tech goodies. It's very heavily armed, packing two Seeker rocket batteries, two Tyndall Cyclonic missiles with Blast, Seeker torpedoes, and Spotter, which buffs many of these weapons. There is one catch, though. You have to take some kind of generator on it and they range from plus 10 to plus 26 points. So realistically, it's going to be at least 158. And the shield generator isn't free as in most Enlightened Cruisers. It's just one of the options you can pay for. Pricey, but it does put out a lot of long-range firepower, so it may be worthwhile if you can protect it. The Tacitus Assault Cruiser comes in at 112 points, which is not bad, but like the Quintillion, you're required to pay for a generator option. Instead of bombards, it has two particle beamers, two Seeker rocket batteries, and Seeker torpedoes. So again, pretty good armament for a cruiser, and it also has focused gunnery. This is a ship that you take for pure offense. Finally, let's look at the 135-point Vesalius Visitor Surgical Ship. This is basically the whale version of a support carrier, and it has the same surgical harbor ability as a larger Descartes. Nothing really that new, just a smaller version of what you already had, but it's a significantly more efficient way to get whales. The Descartes gives you three whales for 260, or 86.7 points per whale, whereas the Vesalius is two whales for 135, which is only 67.5 points per whale. Not too bad of a deal, and it will recycle them too. Compared to other factions, the points adjustments were mostly pretty small other than the Claudius. With the change to Wave Lurker, pretty much all the Mass 2 and Up ships got Luminiferous Defense, and anything with SRS got Fearless Fighters, so defense is generally improved over the faction. Several of the new ships come with special new gear on them, which have powerful and rare abilities that are only available on these specific ships. So the Enlightened maintains their lead as the Mad Scientists with the coolest tech. Finally, let's look at the changes for the Commonwealth. Rail was updated yet again, and I think it's probably in its final form now. Commonwealth also grained the Cryocomata, which buffs their SRS, and their Cryogenerators gained an offensive mode, 
bringing them more in line with the other generators that other factions have, which pack both a weapon effect and a secondary effect. This pretty much solves the problem of how difficult it was to make the icebergs actually useful. Broadsides and heavy broadsides got slightly better, just as with other factions. Heavy gun batteries improved in the point-blank range. Heavy torpedoes gained extreme range, just like other factions. The regular torpedoes and the new light torpedoes also got extreme range, which is not like other factions. The other new weapon is, of course, the cryoblast mode of the cryogenerator. This uh, has an AoE effect, so it's going to be their way of dealing with packs of frigates and things like that. Since the Commonwealth has mostly pretty conventional weapons, there's not a whole lot of changes here, and most of them are universal, affecting all the factions that use those weapons. Moving on to the ships. The Borodino went up 9 points, but it gained heavy torpedoes and cryocapacitors, which gives sustained to its cryoblast. However, it also had the arc reduced on two of its turrets from 270 degrees to 180 degrees, that means that you can only fire all three together within your 90-degree front arc. This loses a bit of flexibility for the ship, uh, but it did get some new weapons on it. We'll kind of have to see how this plays out on the table. The name Puxitov variant dropped 15 points, got the same arc reduction cryocapacitors, and it also picked up an extra point of ADV and SDV. However, it already had the heavy torpedoes. If you wanted to take tri-rails on your Borodino anyway, you should always just use the Paxitov because it has Inspirational and the ADV-SDV buffs for only 7 extra points. The Mosaiski Fleet Carrier got Combat Air Patrol, Cryocomata, Heavy Broadsides, and a 5-point drop in cost. Pretty much you know, the same as the overall buff to all carriers, except for the extra Cryocomata, which is welcome. The Murmansk is still 330 points, but got significant buffs. It gained three hull, rather than the two that most ships got, and its unexpected arrival is much more reliable with rerolls now. Or you have the Void Engine Overclock, which lets you deploy from reserve, guaranteed in return for some damage. The big problem with the Murmansk before was unexpected arrival being too unreliable, and by the time the ship actually showed up, you may have already lost the game. Even though all factions have the same unexpected arrival now, which uh, is much more reliable, this is where I wanted to comment on it more since this is where that ability originated. I also would like to add that the range of the Advanced Repair Facilities ability increased from 5 inches to 10 inches, making it easier to use. Overall, the Murmansk looks like it's significantly more attractive than it was. The Katanga dropped 16 points, while the value of its cryogenerator went up. So it's a clear buff, but it was a pretty expensive ship. Thanks to the AoE effect of the cryogenerator and, of course, its awesome RAM, I think the Katanga is going to end up being a fairly popular class. The basic Kutsov cruiser went up 3 points. No real changes other than that. The Morosko heavy cryocruiser, this is basically the Katanga without the drill, Dropped 9 points, it also got the cryogenerator buff, but I'd still recommend paying 13 extra points for the Katanga and getting that RAM. There is, however, some value in getting to choose between a gun and rocket battery, where the Katanga can only take a rocket. 
And if you are looking for just the, the cheapest blast AOE weapon that you can get, the Morosco may serve that role, or if you just don't have the points for Katangas. The Norilsk Heavy Cruiser went up two points, and you can now swap the gun battery for a rocket battery if you want. You would only do this if you're turning it into a total rocket ship. The Oleg Monitor keeps its same cost, but it lost one to its turn stat, making it a little bit less agile, and only gained one hull compared to two on most other cruisers. I think this is going to result in the Oleg being a little bit less popular, and you may see more people taking the Kutsovs or Norilsks or something else instead. The Pravda support carrier dropped 15 points, gained combat air patrol and cryocomata, so it got similar buffs to most other carriers, except for the bonus cryocomata, which, in my mind, seems to be turning Commonwealth into one of the better carrier factions. The Rurik frigate went up one point, and of course now has the weaker version of Pack Hunter. The Cineus Fast Cruiser has been buffed a few times already. In this update, it was reduced to further five points and got more armor, which was frankly my chief complaint about it. Plus, you're allowed to swap the gun battery for a rocket battery. We'll have to see if it's worth its cost now or if people continue to take the other cruiser classes instead. In the last update, there were a lot of complaints about the Stolotov Akronoplan. So it's getting some buffs here. First, it dropped six points. It gained plus one hull and spotter. And its Caspian Overthrusters ability was buffed to allow you to turn while using it. It's definitely more appealing than it was. I'm still not quite sure about it. It also gets benefits from being in the Caspian Battle Fleet. I expect a lot of Commonwealth players may be interested in giving this ship a second chance, but it's not clear whether it's quite found its place yet. It is more durable, which was one of the big complaints, but since it gained one hull and most of the other cruisers gained two hull at a similar price point, I still don't know whether it's going to see a lot of use. New ships for the Commonwealth include more mobile strongholds and several types of submarines, making Commonwealth the second faction after Enlightened with a big submerged presence. Starting off, let's look at the Tobolsk. This is a mobile stronghold like the Murmansk and shares the same 330-point cost, but it trades its repair facilities for 5 SRS. Given the relatively short range of SRS, this seems like a good option to be able to set up an airstrike wherever you want. However, 5 is not going to be enough to do the job on its own, I think you're going to want to use this to try and augment another strike you're already making. The Anastasia is a named version of the Murmansk for 340 points. For those extra 10 points, you replace all four heavy gun batteries with tri-rail guns, and you gain the minor Black Wolf Mercenaries rule. The actual rule for Black Wolf Mercenaries is a little bit confusing. It lets you ignore the effects of the emergency disorder condition, and when you're making or defending from an assault, you can re-roll blank dice so it makes them better at boarding. However, Black Wolf Mercenaries turns off if the other side has more victory points than you do. So basically, it's kind of saying that the Black Wolf Mercenaries have better morale, but only when they're winning. Overall, it's a pretty good deal. Then we come to Deathbringer. 
This is a 255-point flagship submarine, which also has the Black Wolf Mercenaries rule. It's actually a name version of the Akula-class sub, which we'll talk about in a moment, but with greatly upgraded firepower, with heavy ram, three heavy torpedoes, and two rocket batteries. It has a slightly better stat line, full steam ahead, hammer sweep, and as a plus 10 point option, you can opt to get unexpected arrival. I think this is going to come down to your intended use. Unexpected arrival is a good way to set up the heavy ram, but you may also just want to hang back and fire a lot of heavy torpedoes and rockets at somebody. Both versions seem useful, and you could also use unexpected arrival just to come up behind the enemy fleet and start firing your torpedoes and things from there. Now, the regular Akula Grand Submarine is 175 points, so 80 points less, has no ram, regular-sized torpedoes, although it does add a rear torpedo. Note that the Akula can only come one to a unit, kind of like a flagship. I expect this is because of how the box will be packaged with a single large resin submarine that you can put it together as either the Akula or the Deathbringer variant. If we're lucky, you'll be able to swap it between the two. But it wouldn't make sense to let people feel like three of them, and then you've got to buy multiple boxes to get all these big resin models. Next, we have the Kazakh Attack Submarine. It costs 55 points. It's pretty fragile, but packs front and rear torpedoes and a heavy rocket battery as well as Agile, Full Steam Ahead, and Maritime Patrol. The emphasis here is on the rockets and on hunting other submarines. The low hull points is a concern, but at the relatively cheap price, it doesn't seem too bad. Finally, the lightest sub is the Piranha Hunter sub, which only costs 32 points each, with a unit size of 2 to 4. It only has a single front torpedo, but it does have Giant Slayer, so the intention seems to be that you'll send a group of them after big ships in a wolf pack fashion. Vanguard and Agile will help it line up those attacks. So if you view the Piranha as a submerged frigate, the Kazakh as a submerged heavy destroyer, and the Akula as a submerged heavy cruiser, with the Deathbringer as kind of a submerged battlecruiser, I guess, I would expect that you're going to see an upcoming submarine battle fleet, which will probably have a single Akula, Deathbringer, and resin, and then an assortment of Kazakh and Piranha subs. Since there really isn't a straight-up cruiser-sized ship, or the need for bits to make four different variants, I expect there should be plenty of room for a fair number of both of these. What's not really clear to me at this point is how they might be packaging the mobile strongholds. These have been in the Orbat since the beginning with the Murmansk, but I don't see something that makes sense to package with them, really. So I don't know if it's going to be the same as the usual releases, or maybe they could even consider doing a resin-only box that comes with a single modular stronghold, and you can put it together as the different classes. We'll have to see what War Cradle ends up doing here. That's all I have to cover for today. In the next episode, we'll be reviewing the different battle fleets, talking about submarines, and more. <laughs>